Jesse and I have a good friend. We were having dinner uh, together a few months ago with their family, and we were talking about things that we want to do and accomplish and experience in our life. And our friend shared with us uh, that she had been skydiving. She jumped out of a plane. And when she shared this with me, I said, so you willingly of your own accord, you, you jumped out of an airplane. And she said, yes. And I said, was the plane broken? And she said, no, you, you jump out and you've got a parachute on. And I asked her, I said, I'm having a hard time comprehend, comprehending this concept. How is it that you bring yourself to jump out of an airplane? And she said, oh, well, I would never do it by myself. You jump tandem. You're attached to a professional. Now, they do this over and over and over. And they're in total control. And you jump because you trust that this person knows what they're doing and they're going to be able to do what needs to be done so that you both get to the ground at a safe speed and not 100 miles an hour. And I thought, about, okay, I guess I can roll with that. That makes sense. Like you're able to do something that's out of your control. You're able to do something scary because you have trust in someone that can do what needs to be done. And I started to process the moments and seasons of my life that, that I've gone through some scary things out of my control. And I thought back through those seasons and those moments, and I, I thought about all the people that helped me, that walked with me, that required me to be vulnerable with them. And I realized the truth that you don't really let anybody help you that you don't trust. And as we talk about what happens when we pray, that's something that we really need to focus on. Do I really trust God? When I've got to jump, when I've got to take a, a risk, when I've got to step into things that are out of my control, where I'm not really sure where it's going to lead or how it's going to go, do I trust God enough to jump? And that is what Jesus is inviting us into as we pray, yes, as we pray, it opens us up to God. It connects us to God. God changes us through prayer. It moves God to change the world around us. But when we don't trust God, there's a huge barrier that prevents us from experiencing all that God wants to do in and through us in prayer. Now, we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaching us how to pray. And I want you to notice as we look at it one more time how trust is an intimate foundational part of what Jesus is inviting us into. So let's take a look together. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Look at how trust is woven in every aspect of what Jesus invites us into. To be able to trust God, as we talked about in week one, to say, Lord, I know that I have opinions and I have thoughts and I have wants and I know I have things that I think need to happen, God, but I trust you to do it your way, to do what you want. Or last week, Pastor Hunter talked about God's provision, the prayer of provision. And Jesus invites us to say, Lord, 
I, I wish that I could have it all laid out at once for the rest of my life so I never have to think about it again. But Lord, I trust you to give me my daily bread. Next week, we're going to talk about trusting God to deliver us from evil. That there is real hard, harmful difficult, sometimes evil things outside in the world and sometimes inside in our hearts that we need God to deliver us from and we need to trust him to do the work that only he can do. But perhaps it's nowhere more important to trust God than when we pray, God, forgive us. That's where we're going to be, verse 12 today, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to ask you to reflect this morning. When God says he wants to forgive you, do you really believe it? And I don't mean like, what are we supposed to say we believe? I mean, in the deepest place of your heart, do you really believe it? That God forgives, that God has a heart of forgiveness to restore and redeem, to cleanse us, to set us free from the things that hold on to us. That requires a huge amount of trust. And I wonder if perhaps for most of us who try to follow Jesus, those who call ourselves Christians, maybe this is the hardest place to trust God. I mean, we, we can find a way to trust God to provide. We can find a way to trust God to protect. But do we really trust God to forgive? And I don't mean just like the little white lies and the mistakes. I mean the most difficult, scary, nasty, dirty places of our lives. Do we really believe that God completely forgives? Or do we continue to carry it with us into our future? And then for us to be able to, to really pray this, not only do we have to trust God, Lord, I, I trust that you really mean what you say, but to pray this prayer, God, forgive me, we also have to really believe that I need forgiveness. And we have to be able to come to God with a desperate need. Lord, I can't do anything about this problem of sin and, and the things that I've done. I am in desperate need of you. I need you to forgive me. As I thought about this, I, I thought about one of the most powerful stories of forgiveness in all of Scripture with King David in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of King David, he had risen to power by God's favor. This unlikely chosen one to come to be the king of Israel. And he comes into this great power. He fought wars and won. And he had built the kingdom of Israel and he's got this power and success. And then in 2 Samuel, you see this process where David begins to fall away from the things that God called him to do. It's the springtime, and rather than going to war with his troops, he hangs back. And he walks on the roof of his home, and he's looking out over the kingdom, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And rather than averting his eyes, he lingers, and he thinks about it. And then he sins for her, and then he makes this huge, massive mistake. And then rather than coming to God and saying, Lord, help me, he tries to cover that mistake. And so often when we try to do that, just like David, it makes the matter worse instead of better. And as he tries to cover, he gets himself deeper, and then he's got to cover that. And before he knows it, he has the wife of Bathsheba, a man named Uriah, who was a good and faithful man. He has Uriah killed intentionally in battle. 
And David is kind of going on with his way. Sometimes that's what the way sin and pride work in our lives. It blinds us to, to what's going on. And, and he just kind of goes on with his way until a prophet and a friend named Nathan comes to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he begins to tell David the story about a rich man who steals a sheep from a poor man. This man that all he has in the world is this really beloved lamb and this rich man takes the lamb from him. And David is irate, he's angry because remember he was a shepherd and he knows what it feels like to love a sheep, a love a lamb. And he says, this man should be killed, he should be thrown out. And Nathan, one of the most powerful lines of scripture says, you are the man. And in that moment, David has a realization not just in theory or in concept, but in reality, he feels it in that moment, his desperate need for forgiveness. And it wasn't until he knew that he needed forgiveness that he came to God and prayed for forgiveness. And he lifts up this beautiful prayer in Psalm 51, and I want us to, to take a look at that today. So Psalm chapter 51, we're going to start in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take hold, take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You see as these words come off the page that David realizes his desperate need for God's forgiveness. And he's crying out to God to restore him, to forgive him, to redeem him, to set him free from this junk that he's brought into his life. And he's calling out to God in trust that God can do something about this problem. And here's why David can do this. David has an understanding that is foundational. It's so very important for us to understand. David cries out to God to forgive him, not because of how good David is, but because how loving God is. So here's the truth for us, is that I can ask forgiveness based on God's character. Let's take a look again at verse 1, Psalm 51, verse 1. These are the words that David cries out, recognizing the character of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? My behavior, my track record, my willpower, how sorry I am. No, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David is lifting up three very important elements of God's character of who he is. His mercy, his love, his compassion. 
See, we see three things here about God. Number one, that God is gracious. As, God, as David cries out, have mercy on me, O God. In the Hebrew, the word is kanan. It means God's mercy and grace, his unmerited gift to us that we don't merit it, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but yet God gives us the grace. Not just to wipe away sin, but to give us what we don't deserve beyond that. His presence, his power, his love, his favor. God is gracious. We know that God is loving and kind. David says, have mercy on me. Why? According to your kindness, according to your love for me. The word is chesed. And this is a, a, an action. It's not a feeling. God doesn't just feel love for us, but God moves toward us in his love and his kindness. And God, have mercy on me according to your compassion. The Hebrew is racham. Meaning God's love and, and interest and desire for us from the deepest place of his being. This isn't just, you know, God kind of being nice to us. No, God desperately loves and longs for us. We can come to God based on who God is, not based on who we, who we are. And when we understand this, when we trust this, that, Lord, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to believe in your forgiveness, it is powerful. It transforms us. It changes us. Why? Because the truth is, is that I don't, pray for forgiveness because I have changed. I pray for forgiveness because I want to be changed. God, I can't fix this. I can't change myself. I can't change my heart. I can't make it go away. But Lord, you can. You can change me. You can transform me. You can transform my heart and my mind and my will to pull me into everything that you want me to be and experience everything you want me to experience. And Lord, you can make all my sin disappear with your grace, your power, your mercy. But it's so hard for us to lean into that and really trust it. To believe it, not just like as a theory, but to believe it for me, that this can be a reality for my life. Now, so what does this look like? Well, every single one of us, everybody here in the room, everybody watching online, every person on planet Earth throughout all history, we have one big problem. I'm going to write it up here on the, on the whiteboard with my permanent Sharpie because it's a permanent problem that many of us feel the weight of in a permanent way, and it's the problem of sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. And as much as we want to make it go away, as much as we try harder, as much as we beat ourselves up, like there's nothing I can ever do to make my sin disappear. It's not going anywhere. And we got a big problem. And so what do we do? Well, in our best efforts, when we're desperate for God, we cry out to God and we say, God, forgive me, God help me, and we believe that at the best, maybe God draws a line through that and he doesn't count it, count it against us. God says, okay, I forgive you, you know, and, and I, I'm not going to make you stay out of heaven because of that. Like I sent Jesus and, and we're not going to count that against your permanent record. But what happens? Because we look at God the what, through the lens of what we experience, we think God is not counting it against us, but surely God remembers because we remember, right? 
And I don't know if you're anything like me at all, but there are times in my life where something that I did 15 years ago that God has long dealt with will suddenly and just sporadically pop up in my brain and I'm right back in that moment and I feel the weight and the shame and the regret of that all over again because I have not forgotten it. But I want to tell you this morning, the truth of the gospel is that is not the way God works. What God has done is he has sent Jesus to completely cover our sin with the blood of his son. That everything that I deserve and you deserve, everything that, that we should be experiencing from the weight of our sin, Jesus took upon himself. And God is not just not holding it against you, but it is gone. gone. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that our sin, because of God's mercy and grace, is as far as the east is from the west. It is completely covered. Your greed, your secret lust, your selfishness, your pride, your fear, it is gone. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, it is no longer there. It's disappeared. God has dealt with it once and for all. It's gone. And if God says it's gone because of what it cost Jesus, it was a big cost. It was pricey. If God was willing to pay that, then we need to let it go. And we have some things in our life that we need to let go of. Do not hold on to what you can confess. Don't hold on to that secret sin because you think you're never going to be able to get rid of it. Confess it to God. Give it to God. Say, Lord, I need your help in this. Don't hold on to what God has forgiven. If God says, I forgive you, then don't carry it with you as if he didn't. And don't hold on to what God wants to transform. That God wants to change the way you think. He wants to change the way you feel. He wants to change what you desire and your will to shape you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And what we hold on to because I'm afraid of it, I'm under the weight of it, I'm not sure if God can forgive it. When we hold on to it, and rather than giving it to God, we're not allowing God to transform what he wants to change in us. So I want us to be able to make the choice today to let it go. And the way we do that, listen, it is not by effort, it is not by willpower, it is not by trying harder. You should be catching a theme if you've been here the last couple of weeks and it's going to continue next week. It does not happen by effort. It happens through prayer. That's what not, David didn't come to God and say, God, I'm going to try harder, I promise. That's not what David did. God, David went to God and said, Lord, I need to spend some time with you in prayer for you to do what only you can do. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to lift up seven prayers that you and I can pray for us to experience how God wants to wipe away our sin. And they come from Psalm 51. So here's the first. Psalm chapter 51 verse 7 tells us this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So here's the first prayer as we pray for God to cleanse us. Say, God, lift the weight of my sin. David says, God, cleanse me because my sin is sticking to me. It's a, a weight that I'm carrying around and I can't get myself rid of it. So, Lord, I can't fix it, but you can. Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me? And many of us are carrying a weight 
of things that we've said or done or maybe things that other people have said or done in your life. And a prayer that we can pray is, God, I, I, need, a, a light to, I need a lighter feel. I need freedom. Would you lift the weight of that from me? I promise you it is not something you can do by trying harder. But it is a gift that God wants to give you to lift that weight. He goes on in verse 8. He says, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. So here's a second prayer we can pray. Is God give me relief from my guilt. David felt the guilt of his sin in his bones. He, he felt it down deep within him. And I imagine that guilt was impacting every relationship. It was impacting his countenance and his disposition. It was impacting his attitude. It was impacting his decision-making. And that is what guilt does. It impacts every element of our lives. I know some of us watching today are even experiencing physical manifestations of our guilt. Pain or sickness. Because we haven't let God bring us the relief from forgiveness to deal with the problem of our sin. And so here's what we got to do. As, as we pray, God, forgive me, we need to choose to trust that God really forgives me. The only way you will ever experience relief from your guilt is to trust that God says it's gone. That what Jesus did for you applies to you. And not just what you've done in the past, but everything you did in the, going to do in the future. That Jesus died once and for all, for all of us. And that when we trust in him and submit to him, his blood washes us clean. And I got to believe that and trust it. So here's what I ask you to do. Because sometimes trusting means acting even when I'm having a hard time feeling it. I want to challenge us for the next six months to act as if God really means it when he says, I forgive you. In your relationships with people, act as if God really forgives you. In your decision-making, act as if God really forgives you. In your hopes and dreams, act as if God really forgives you. In answering God's call to serve him, act as if God really forgives you. In your self-talk, act as if God really forgives you. And see what happens if you commit to that for six months. How God might relieve bring relief to you from your guilt. He goes on verse 9. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. God, remove my shame. God, blot it out. Don't, don't look upon it. David says, God, I don't want you to look at my sin because it's shameful. That's one of the things that we miss in the Western culture is the, the power of honor and shame. It drives the Middle East and the Eastern culture to this day. And he was under the, the power of that shame. He says, God, I don't want you to look at my shame. Hide your face from it. And in reality, David knows that God sees everything. And so what he's praying is, God, would you deal with my shame? Would you cleanse me from it? Would you help me to, to no longer be under the weight of the shame? And he's calling out to God, on a truth that we need to understand is that God calls you by your name and not by your sin. Now there is one who calls you by your sin and he is the enemy. He is the deceiver. He is Satan, the devil. He wants you to live in shame. 
But we have a Savior who doesn't call you by your sin. He calls you by your name. I love, read through the Gospels. Pay attention to what happens when Jesus calls somebody by name. It's powerful. And that's what he does for you. He calls you by name to, to relieve you of that shame, to lift you up. He goes on in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what can we pray? God, create a pure heart in me. God, change the way I feel. Change the way I think. Do a new work in me, Lord. I've said this many times before because I believe it from the deepest place in my being. Y'all, I do not want to white knuckle it through life trying to be a good boy. <laughs> Ephesians lifts up this prayer. Paul says that God has the ability to give you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. Can we pray that together? God, give me the desire and the ability to do what pleases you. I don't want to keep trying so hard and keep failing and falling on my face. Would you transform and give me a clean heart? He keeps going. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What can we pray? God, give me joy in you. When I realize, again, not as a theory, not as a concept, but in reality that I am forgiven, that I'm given grace, that I'm given new life, that is a lens for all of life. It changes everything. That not only does God not count my sin against me, but he's moving me into greater and better things. I can have joy even when stuff is falling apart, even when I don't know what's happening, even when I'm challenged and struggling and failing. I can have joy because God has made a promise and he's a promise keeper and he's got heaven waiting for me. He's got himself waiting for me and I can have joy knowing that God wins. And I don't have to get stuck in what was or the, the struggle or the difficulty. I have this joy that lasts through it all that is unchanging because I'm made new. I'm forgiven. I have a hope and a future that is not prohibited by the things I've done. But it's opened up by the things that Jesus has done. And that's going to move us to a new place if we really believe this. He goes on in verse 13. This is where it lands. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David shifts from himself to what he's going to do for others and that you and I too can pray, God, put grace in me. That God will change my heart to the point where I can offer that to others. That forgiveness transforms me. Or let me say it this way, the greatest tool in your life to be able to give grace and forgive others is the recognition of God's forgiveness for you. A forgiven person can forgive. Lord, don't just clean my record. Put grace in me that moves through me to others. I want to be able to offer this amazing new life to everybody I can. I think back when I was 17 years old and God's grace really became real to me for the first time. I could not hold it in because a forgiven person forgives others. Couldn't help it. But life happens, responsibilities come, struggles come your way, and you kind of fade away from that. And maybe we just need to come back to this prayer every day. God, put grace in me. 
so that grace can move through me. So here's what I want to lift up. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and you're struggling. You got some regret. You got some shame. You got the weight of your mess. And maybe you've even asked God to forgive you, but you've never really believed it. You believe it in theory, you believe it in concept, but you've never let it settle on your heart. In just a minute, we're going to have an extended prayer time. We're going to sing two songs. We're going to have these prayer rails open. If that's where you are, here's what I know about God is, God, just come to him and say, God, I'm having a hard time believing it. Would you give me belief? One of the greatest prayers of all the Bible is this Roman authority who wants his child to be healed. He comes to God and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You can pray that to God. God honors that prayer. God, I want to believe you. Forgive me. Would you give me faith? And you might step into a whole new life today. Or maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. But you're struggling too. And my hunch is if that's where you are and you're trying to follow Jesus, but you've got just a lot of of hurt and pain and struggle and difficulty in your life, it might be one of two things happening. Either you also are having a hard time that God has forgiven you of something in your life and you're not resting in that. Or it might be that you're not willing to forgive somebody else in your life because unforgiveness becomes a barrier to God's grace moving through us. That's the prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6. Forgive us as we forgive others. And maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord in prayer saying, God, I need to believe you forgive me. Or Lord, I'm not feeling it, but I need you to give me the power. Going back to that prayer, give me the desire and the ability to forgive this person in my life. And wipe it away. Not just draw a line through it and remember it. (laughs) Erase it. Or maybe you're here and you're following Jesus and you're just scared. You're scared that you can step up to what God has called you to do. You know that you're forgiven, but you still kind of feel the consequences of the things of your past or the things that you're walking through. And you think that that's disqualified you from stepping up into service or leadership or to share God's word or share the gospel. Do not believe that lie straight from the pit of hell. You are covered by the blood of Christ. You are redeemed. And the word of God says you are an ambassador of the gospel. Not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has done. And my hope is that you will come and pray or pray in your seat. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Don't even worry about praying through the fear. Just pray for the Holy Spirit. Because here's what the word of God says is that the spirit of God brings freedom, not fear. God, fill me with your spirit to empower me to step out, knowing that I am washed clean. I want to serve you. So I'm going to pray for us. If you'll stand, we're going to sing two songs to close out. These prayer rails are available for you. If you want to come and pray, we're going to have people stationed that can pray with you. If you want, you can wave them over or you can come pray on your own. 
You can pray in your seat. You can bring somebody with you. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. Guys watching online, I know our tendency, our temptation is to check out right now. After you hear the message, don't do that. This is a time where we are the body of Christ, spiritually joined together by the blood of Christ. We enter into this prayer time together. Right there in your living room, wherever you are, you can come to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's calling out to you. And I'm praying that somebody has a breakthrough today. Somebody's carrying the weight of their shame, of their guilt, of their regret. And today can be the day that you walk out of here free because you believe that Jesus, that God really meant what he said. And you can be a new person. Who wants that today? I want to be a new person set free from this. Today could be that day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to work and let's see what God's going to do. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus, whose blood covers our sin, who died once for all. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give. Lord, please enable us to desire and cry out and come to you to let go of what we confess, to let go of what you forgive, to let go of what you want to transform so that we can be made new and join with you in your work. Forgive us for listening to the lies of the evil one. Draw us into you. Let your Holy Spirit work all in our hearts and minds. Some of us may not even know what to pray, Lord, and so we're holding on to what your word says, that the Holy Spirit cries out for us with unutterable words. We pray for you to do that for us right now. So come, Holy Spirit, work to set us free from sin and death that we might experience fully the forgiveness, the freedom we have in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.